Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I will be hosting today's episode, and I'm joined by Terry Phillips. Terry is the in-house physical therapist at Driveline Baseball, and Terry and I are going to dive deep into managing baseball players today. We talk about everything ranging from the physical therapist's role in enhancing baseball performance to the, some notions and current concepts around arm care in baseball players, to talking about baseball injuries and some of the tactics that we both utilize to manage baseball injuries and help players return to performance. If you have any interest in baseball, whether it's developing as a player or working with baseball athletes, you're really going to enjoy this episode. Terry is a great physical therapist, and he might have evaluated more baseball players than any other physical therapist on the planet in the last several years. So he's a wealth of experience. So I hope you really get a lot out of this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I'll be hosting this episode. And today I'm joined by Terry Phillips. Terry's the in-house physical therapist at Driveline Baseball. Um, And recently, he's been killing the internet game with some amazing memes. So um, at Driveline, Terry has the opportunity to support countless baseball players at all levels, from high school, college, to professional. I am personally very excited for this conversation as I've been wanting to make time to pick Terry's brain for several years and the podcast is a, a great way to do it. So Terry, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Michael. Uh, I'm glad my, my meme capabilities made the intro. Um, so I've been, I've been looking forward to this conversation when you asked me a week ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, the, uh, the timing, timing was perfect and I'm uh, glad we were able to connect. Shout out to our guy Dylan Moser for uh, making the initial <laughs> initial uh, introduction several years ago. For sure. So, can you give us uh, a background on what got you into physical therapy and how you ended up out at Driveline now? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think this is the case for most most PTs, especially in the orthopedic setting. That you know, we were athletes at one point growing up, um, and my and. At some point, a lot of them had injuries. Uh, myself, I had two labor repairs. Uh, I was a pitcher throughout high school and then do, uh, into JUCO. Uh, had my first uh, limb repair in like my junior high school, second one after my second year of JUCO ball. Um, at that point, the writing was on the wall that my playing career was coming to an end. Uh, figured I wanted to work with athletes in some capacity at the time and didn't really know what that looked like. And Kind of dabbled in uh, athletic training background or athletic training major when I was in JUCO. Um, and then nothing against athletic training, but that kind of pushed me towards more physical therapy. Uh, and then, you know, went to Ithaca College, got my physical therapy degree. Uh, when I first, I, then I essentially just moved out to Seattle. Uh, I grew up in Western New York, moved out to Seattle after uh, I graduated. Was out at outpatient clinic for about five, six years before I met Kyle uh, Bodie, the founder of Driveline in 2014. Uh, he gave a talk, my old supervisor, I was basically overhead athlete symposium that he was at. Uh, he talked about baseball players kind of brought up a lot of things that I had not really experienced, really discuss, you know, obviously like plyo balls, weighted balls, uh, wrist weight type stuff, um, was relatively new to me. And afterwards I just went up and talked to him, just kind of approached him and said, I want to come check out his place. And at that time he was, that was two facilities ago for driveline, which was, you know, not where we are now, but it was like a tiny one cage 
plyo wall the size of a desk, um, small weight room. And then I just went there for, uh, you know, went there for just like a, a, an afternoon, essentially, and hung out, saw what they were doing, talked to Kyle a little more. Told him afterwards that I was hoping to kind of team up in some capacity. You know, I at that time, you know, I had kind of grown a small reputation in the area where I was working to like working with baseball players. Um, so I had like what I thought was decent knowledge. Uh, looking back, that wasn't generally the case. Um, and say, hey, let's team up in some capacity. Uh, luckily, I was the only PT that he knew that had an interest in baseball. Uh, even though we were 45 minutes away, he would start sending me some guys, uh, had some, you know, good, good outcomes, good results with those athletes. You know, we got, you know, we had built some good relationships and then, uh, it, within that time drive on moved into their most, their previous facility from where we're at now, uh, which was a bit bigger and they were growing. So they had a, uh, ability to bring me on just one day a week, uh, which luckily I was doing four 10 hour days, in my, my other job. So it worked out. Did that for about a year. Uh, during that time, my other job got bought out by, we'll call them Kmart PT, um, and decided that I was done with that place. Uh, and luckily, I, you know, driveline was continuing to grow and was able to bring me out full time at, at that capacity. Uh, that was about 2017. I've been full time there ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, great story. We do get a lot of students. I still teach at Marquette, um, and we, we train students here and, um, they, um, everyone wants to know, how do you get into jobs? Like what you're doing or where, you know, whatever, everyone wants to work with athletes, but there's very few places that you get to almost exclusively do it. And I think that's a great story. And just being willing to put in some sweat equity network. It's not like these jobs don't get posted. You know, there's not, there's not, it's never going to hit a job board. It's going to be people that make connections, know people and are willing to put in some work and, and show that they really want it that are going to eventually get an opportunity. Yeah. And I, I actually had a a student that came out, uh, last week, you know, just to observe. Um, and he, we kind of had a similar discussion and he was just, you know, I told him, I was like, Hey, honestly, like one of the best thing, like every young PT wants to get into sports immediately have like this high, you know, this amazing job. Um, but like, personally me, I think one of the best things for me was just, you know, working outpatient for a while and see a wide variety of, you know, not just cases, but also clients, you know, learn how to interact with different, you know, different backgrounds, different types of people, um, and then just learn from people above you. Uh, and then, you know, then like I said, yeah, make connections, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my, where I'm at now was also, was also right time, right place. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm definitely, I'm, I'm definitely aware of the luck aspect of that. Uh, but I mean, there's also said something to be said about like, just building those connections and like taking some chances once you feel confident yourself about it. Yeah, for sure. So I'd be curious, I'm sure lots of people, um, we may have a few, I I feel like most people now are aware of what driveline is in the baseball world. Um, you know, they may not intimately really understand what it's about, but I feel like most people at least know what it is, but, um, I'm sure many people are curious. What is it like to actually work at driveline every day? it's, I mean, like in the most part, it's, it, you know, it, it's, I don't want to cheapen it. It's still a job, you know, yeah. I still go to work. I still like treat athletes, you know, day in, day out. Um, it's not <laughs> a lot of days. It's not this like magical place where you're just seeing like the highest level baseball players walk in and out. A lot of times it's, you know, uh, spending time working with high schoolers, working with college guys. Um, it's, but with that said, it's still a ton of fun. Like, you know, I have complete autonomy of what I'm doing throughout my day. 
you know, don't deal with insurance companies, which is always awesome. Um, yeah, us too. Definitely get some. <laughs> um, definitely have some surreal moments of a, like, man, where it's just like if you take a step back and you kind of see where you're at, it's just like, man, how did I end up here? Um, it's so like it's definitely awesome. Uh, but, but like I so said, there's definitely just like a, you know the day to day aspect of it too. That's just like, oh yeah, this is, it's a job, you know. Um, but like I said, there's no other place right now that I want to be working. Yeah. What's the, um, I'm always curious when I talk to other places, I think it's, I feel like in some ways it's like the unicorn in the sports performance field of, uh, like how's the collaboration work there between what you do, string conditioning, throwing and hitting coaches, like what's that, how's the team atmosphere work and and what's your experience with that been? So, uh, it's, I mean, it's constant communication back and forth, um, with varying levels where it's like, I'll have the intermediate communication via like a Slack channel. Uh, if I'm not just like, you know, I'm right in the middle of the training floor essentially. So it's like the trainer's there, you know, whether it's hitting H, you know, high performance or throwing, I can go communicate them if I need to. Um, otherwise I can just send a quick message. But then we also have like more formal communication where it's like at the end of the day, um, I'll have a, like, I'll just write out my notes of like guys that think need to be kind of, be a bit more paid attention to. Um, and then if we go into like more deeper detail, like sometimes we just need to have meetings about certain athletes being like, Hey, this guy's he's been struggling either with health, with performance, something else. Um, so it's, it's a pretty like smooth flowing communication. Um, with that said, it's like, we will collaborate, but we also like, we also recognize that each department like specializes in like what they do, you know? So like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put a ton of input into what the throwing side is doing outside, like making modifications in the event where guys look banged up. Um, similar with like the high performance department where it's like, do you, you know, like you guys are awesome. Um, I don't need to like really make changes. Um, but again, again, this guy is not able to like, let's say deadlifts without discomfort. Let's maybe make me, uh, what do you guys think can be the appropriate modification for that? Um, so it's like it will make suggestions if need be, but like we also like respect that like each other, each department is like awesome and does incredible work. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the hardest thing. Um, both in my experience when I was kind of around the um professional sports and, and the NFL and just talking to other people at different teams and organizations and players, even that are with these different teams and organizations, like everyone talks about collaboration. Um <laughs> but it's a lot harder to actually do successfully uh, yeah. than people make it seem, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, it looks great on a PowerPoint slide that like, <laughs> we're going to work really well together. But when you yeah. actually get into the nuts and bolts of it, I think it, it's hard. And, and in our area, we, it's something that we work out constantly. You know, we, we don't have everybody in the same spot. So we have to try to collaborate outside our walls. And that even adds like one extra element of um, difficulty. Yeah, for sure. Um, at our, at our last facility, we were like split up into three different buildings. Um, and we had like the main training floor. We had the lab, um, where there was some training going on, um, but mostly like one-on-one -on -one type stuff. And then we had like our, our warehouse and like administrative offices. And initially I was like, I was on the training floor. Um, <laughs> so I, I was on the training floor when I initially started, um, where I was like just in the face of the athletes day to day, uh, as it got bigger and we got busier. I moved into the lobby of the train floor building <laughs> where the joke was, I was like, 
I had my, I had like a camping chair where I was like underneath the stairs where athletes would go up to, athletes would go up to the athlete lounge. Uh, so I was just like the PT under the stairs for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. like um, you were, you were Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then after like, and then I think, uh, a year or two later, um, I got interns for the first time and we couldn't fit the three of us in the, you know, in the lobby of the train, you know, the actual main gym. So we moved to the lab. Um, so there's a little bit more space, but then again, like I wasn't in the day-to-day aspects of like what was going on with the training floor, you know, again, it was, it was just a little bit harder to communicate a bit harder to like also communicate with the athletes too. And just like, let them know, like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm here for, here for you, you know, not like you have to go to a separate building and go see PT. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Uh, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm always impressed whenever I, um, hear, hear what you guys are doing, see what you guys are doing, talk to athletes that have been out there and come back. So, um, I think it's, I think it's great. Let's start diving into some specifics with, uh, with dealing with throwing athletes and then, uh, kind of getting after some myths and, and things like that. So you obviously work with a lot of high level throwers. Can you give us a little overview of, um, what you look at and if you have a kind of philosophy when you work with a throwing athlete? Yeah. So, um, I generally like, especially, so I see every athlete that comes in, um, day one or day two throwing or hitting. Um, and I'll, I essentially just run through like a full body screen, you know, I'll do just some spine range of motion tests, lumbar thoracic cervical, um, check shoulder range of motion, check hip range of motion. Um, I don't get into like deep, like small details of like, Oh yeah. Like your, your wrist range of motion and your elbow range of motion, stuff like that. But I'll check kind of like the big rocks. They're more closer to like the, you know, the, uh, the thorax. Um, and then like, so I'll do a handful of, like manual muscle tests and I really just try to like identify like major red flags, um, and, or like low hanging fruit that can be addressed. And then from there, um, it really just depends on like what the athlete's history is. You know, if it's a, if it's a, let's, we'll start the top. It's like, if it's an MLB guy, um, I'm not going to really intervene if he thinks that like he's one, if he's one, if he's been healthy for his career. Um, and two, if he thinks that he didn't really have much that he needs to work on. Uh, I, I learned that lesson, obviously the hard way several years ago that like MLB guys have just been through that. They've seen every medical professional and everyone that's trying to sell them something underneath the sun. So I try to get an idea of like what they feel like their limiting factors are beforehand. Um, and if they've been healthy and they don't really feel like they have much, then like, okay, you're good. Um, you know, even if I may find something that I think is a fairly big limiter, it's, it likely is not honestly. Um, and I'll just let them be, and I'll tell them, Hey, if like, this is what I'm noticing, if you feel like you want to work on it, we'll work on it. If you don't feel like you need to work on it, we're good. But and again, if we, then we go down the chain, let's say we got a guy who's like had an injury history. I'm like, okay, I think this might potentially be contributing. You know, you can never be like 100% sure, or like really even be remotely sure. Um, like, I think if we kind of work on this, we'll help kind of clear some things up. So on and so forth down the chain. Um, we're getting to a college guy where he might have like several big limiters and he's just not where he's at from a performance perspective of like, again, I think if we, you know, get this area moving better, maybe like kind of get a little more stability or strength here. Um, I think that'll help like with your form, you know, form side of things. But then it like almost goes back to the other end of the spectrum when we get to like high school guys where it's like, okay, they have X, Y, Z. Z, you know, that might, that doesn't look, you know, quote unquote good on the, on the table or like how they're moving, but it's just like, but also you weigh 150 pounds and you're six foot one, like you don't need PT stuff. You just need to go to Chipotle. 
Yeah. And you can't do a push-up. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you look like a you look like a baby giraffe when you're doing a single leg squat. Like this isn't I don't need to give you like glute activation. I need to like you, you need a barbell. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. You hit on a, several interesting points um that I want to dive into because I do I take a similar approach when we work with a pro athlete. Um I think they really understand their bodies. They have worked with a lot of skill coaches. They have goals or a philosophy that they want to get to. Um, but I'll, I'll give you an example of one that I always hear of like, and I don't, I think it's people that keep telling them this, but they'll be like, Oh, you're, you need to work on your hip mobility. And I always look at it and maybe sometimes, but three of the hardest throwers that we work with all have some of the worst hip mobility ever that yeah. I don't think it's really, uh, key performance indicator for baseball throwing like i'm not saying that yeah maybe if you got more it would you know be harmful or anything like that but i'm always like i'm not sure that this is really the thing that we want to spend a lot of time your off season going after improving your hip mobility so i don't know if you see anything like that as well yeah no i'm i'm 100 with you on that um like when athletes do tell me i need to work on something 75 percent of the time it's probably even more than that. It's like, they say hit mobility, even like high school guys. I'm like, it's like, who the heck is telling you that you had, you're, you're 16 years old. Who's told you that you need to work on your hip mobility. Um, and I have an idea of like who it is. It's probably like coach PT chiropractor that they've come down the road where, you know, that, that coach is another rant in itself. But uh, again, like, yeah, like you can have bad hip mobility on a table test or in certain, even like, We'll, go, we'll, we'll call them functional tests, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a limiter within your, your task of like throwing or hitting. Um, and a lot of people point to like, like, well, well, look at the extreme ranges of motion they go through when they hit like one it's, you don't know actually how extreme of a range of motion is relative to that athlete. And two, that's also a, like a learned tech, like, a learned trait that they've had just from doing a, a task consistently for a long period of time. I've seen plenty of plenty of throwers who like, again, we'll keep on staying on the, on the topic of hip mobility, who like when on the table, like their hip mobility looks terrible. And then you like, but their motion capture report is extremely clean. They get to all the right positions they need to be. Um, their timing's good. It's like, what, like, yeah, you look bad on the table and I can make myself feel good about this. And like trying to like give you better hip mobility, but like, but that's just like wasted time when you could do things that are probably going to be like a bigger, a bigger improvement, a uh, bigger improvement for you as far as like just making you a better athlete, um, you just improve your outputs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like training economy. I mean, it's not a, it's not a zero sum game. Every, every ounce that you put of effort, you put towards something that's not meaningful is, um, you know, less time that you can put for towards something that is. Yeah. And again, then you, you know, I, this holds true for a lot of things, but you get into like, you can get into like the dependency aspect of it, I guess, where, or like the, where the point where athletes like just feel like they have more things wrong with them. And it's like, Oh, well, I didn't work on my, I didn't have time to work on my, my hips for 30 minutes today or for the, you know, this week, you know, for three or four days a week. So I'm going to struggle. And it's just like, it's just stuff that doesn't probably actually matter in the grand scheme of things that we, like, we, we, make athletes hold so much weight onto that it becomes like almost like a stressor for them. Um, 
which is going to have like overall a net negative impact more than likely. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So obviously we, neither of us, I mean, and I'm not saying hip mobility isn't a problem. Like I do think at times, yeah. it can be, um, but not probably as often as, as people are told, but yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you see any, anything that you find to be particularly like a key performance indicator that almost all or all of the um, high level throwers that you work with are all exceptionally good at or um, anything like that from so uh from the like pt table tests and i say table tests loosely um side of things not really honestly again like I, I blow smoke up my own backside here. Like I probably like assess more throwers than anyone in the last like five years. And you see so many different, I've seen so many different things of like guys that are like healthy um, and throw really well versus guys who are injured and don't throw well. Um, you can have guys that look really, really good on table and their injury history is lengthy. You know, you have guys that look really bad on table and they're, they've been an all-star before. Um, so I, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's maybe like some things that might carry like a little bit of weight, but overall, I think it's just like nothing that is like 100%. Like, yeah, you have to be working on this to get this better. to like get you to the next level. Yeah. Um, there, it, with that said, like we do do uh, some force plate tests on our strength conditioning uh, assessment uh, where we have essentially like a test, like various aspects of athleticism. Uh, we use like a counter movement jump. We use a squat jump. We use an isometric mid thigh pull and we use like repetitive hop tests. And we essentially give athletes like a rating based off how they do up those tests. Um, it gives in, an indication of like where their weaknesses is of like what athletic attributes they may be lacking. And what we found from that is like, I mean, no surprise here, but like the guys who just generally score better on those tests as a whole are more likely to throw harder. Yeah. Uh, and again, that doesn't, you know, I'm going to go into dad coach here. It doesn't mean they're a good pitcher. Um, and it doesn't mean that you can't still throw hard and be poor at those tests. And it doesn't mean that you can be really good at those tests and throw soft. Um, uh, but just like the overall, like, you know, consensus is that if you would get better at, at these athletic attributes that we can measure on these force play tests, the likelihood that you're going to increase your velocity or throw harder is, is higher. Yeah. We, I'd agree with that. We do similar stuff and <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but interestingly, we haven't seen like a correlation to jump height, but we look more at the, on the force plates, we look more at, um, like concentric impulse and just the forces that they're putting into the ground. And they're, they're all very relatively strong and put a lot more force into the ground. You know, we might, we have high school kids that like jump higher cause they weigh yeah. 120 pounds. <laughs> um, yeah. So they don't have to move 220 pounds into the air. Um, but we see some, you know, we've some reasonable correlations between some of the other metrics that we can get from the force plate systems. Yeah. And again, I, this is getting a little bit more out of my scope here, but like that similar aspects of what we found where it's like, it's generally again, more about your ability to put, again, put force in the ground, um, absorb force, uh, to an extent and just like said, be strong, be, be bouncy to an extent. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, and then something that we've stolen from like the guys at Altus and like Matt Jordan up at the Canadian sports science Institute or, or this idea of like mailboxing people, 
And I'm sure you see this too. It seems like there's two types of really high level throwers. There's guys that are not that mobile, but like very, very strong, but generally on the tight quote unquote spectrum. And then there's like the guys that might not be as strong, but they're really mobile. I mean, they can bend in half and their arm cranks back to, um, kind of crazy degrees and their hips are very, very mobile. And so we just sort of try to like, like use that table test and assessment to just sort of group them of like, yeah, you're a little tighter. You tend to get tight. Let's not let you get any more tight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're really mobile and you need to just control your body more. We don't need to do anything stretching wise with you and just trying to at least like kind of mailbox them and get them in the right like zone of, of working on the right things in the gym. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, just work on what you're good at while also trying to bring up your floors of everything else. Um, or like utilize what you're good at, I should say. And then like what you're not good at, try to bring that floor up. Cause like, there's still an aspect of that's going to help. Obviously, uh, that shouldn't just be like, Oh yeah, well, he's not, you know, he's not good at this athletic capability. Uh, so therefore we're just not going to train at all, but like, no, you still, that's still like, whatever that is, is still going to happen in their sport and bringing that up is only going to help them out. Um, I'm not saying you need to take, dedicate all your training economy towards it, but you shouldn't just like let it go by the wayside either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, this is really, I don't know why it's been on my mind a lot recently. Um, so let's play a word association game. I say arm care. What do you, what's yeah. the first thing that you think about? Uh, trend trending. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. Essentially like it, like arm care is important, but it's, I think it gets blown out proportion of like what actually needs to happen, you know? Um, what I generally, again, I think, you know, driveline is probably a big component of this from the past of like probably creating some, some fallacies that don't, that shouldn't be, shouldn't be perpetuated. Um, but generally a lot of it like is gets, goes back to like band work, you know, isometric, some reactive type stuff to the shoulder, so on and so forth. And like, cool, that's great. But like, that's not necessarily similar to like what happens in sport, you know, like it's a lot of just like high level, like a lot of high forces in a very short period of time and working on like, you know, endurance type stuff, uh, low stimulation type stuff in the vein of like the, you know, around the arm and around like the, the shoulder complex, it's probably not going to be like have a ton of carryover. Um, where I think, you know, I kind of, my biggest thing I've kind of made mentions this on social media before is just like, it's honestly, just, it's cliche, almost cliche. I feel like at this point, but it's just like, get just get stronger in the weight room, you know, do a lot of different things, get good at them, learn, control them with like a heavy load. And like, that's arm care, um, to quote Stephen Simmons, our, you know, our head of HP, just like arm care is taking your deadlift from like 400 to 425. Um, yeah. that's, and I agree with them. Like that's more arm care than like you're doing, you know, you're doing J bands, you know, you get a new J band routine every month. Um, which again, I think that's another, like when I say training, I think that's another training thing is like people are talking about, Oh, you need to like change. You can't treat your arm care. Just like you're, you know, like you do can't do the same like arm care routine day in, day out. 
Um, you need to change it up every like six, you know, four to six weeks or something like that. Like I get, you know, I get the concepts behind it. Like, sure. Like you don't want to like your body just to adapt, but again, like what those types of exercises actually carry over to in like throwing and throwing a lot is probably not, is not going to have like the return on investment that like I, people like to think it is. Yeah. No, I, uh, I agree. And I, I just have seen the same, um, concept of like, there's more and more people that are either looking for or marketing or selling like these arm care routines. And I'm like, I don't understand the concept because if you aren't aware of what they're doing in their training, if you're not aware of what they're doing in their throwing program, if you're not aware of what they're doing in their warm up, how are you like, what else are you looking for? Like, how do you know that they need that extra thing? How do you know that, um, that, Hey, they didn't hit their posterior shoulder strength during their workout with these exercises. I mean, yeah. to me, I'm just like, if kids warm up consistently with some type of, uh, I'm not even hundred percent sure it matters, but some type of just warm up something, routine. Yeah. Something, fo- they- something relatively focused on the arm. <laughs> yeah. To, to throw. And yeah. then they, follow a good throwing program that's well-designed and manages stress and allows for down days and recovery and stuff, and then participate in a well-structured total body strength conditioning program. I don't know, at least twice, if not, I mean, probably more than that, but at least two times a week. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure that you need more than that. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm 100% with you. Um, I think, you know, going back to like selling arm care programs, I think from the people who sell them, we'll say, uh, I think it's like well-intentioned um, and I don't think they're like trying to like, I don't think anyone's trying to snake oil anyone. Um, you know, I think it's well-intentioned. Like, yeah, we want to get your arm stronger, arm healthier, but I just think like where the focus is, is, is uh, should be placed elsewhere. Um, and I think from, you know, the athlete side of things, I think it's like athletes love thinking that they're doing, that they're doing hashtag grind of, you know, they're putting, they're putting in work um, of like, Oh yeah. You know, I get my arm care in, I'm, you know, my arm's strong and healthy. It's like, cool. But you also, when you go in the weight room, you don't exceed that, you know, an RPE of five out of 10. Uh, so like, yeah, maybe you're, maybe like your rotator cuff strength is solid, but the rest of your body isn't um, like, your arm care, your actual arm health probably isn't going to end up being that well in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I think my concern with them is just, I mean, two, two thoughts of like, okay, how many kids are doing that instead of training? Like if you get a three day a week arm care program that then now that's what we're doing rather than, okay, now I'm going to follow a stupid throwing program because I'm doing my arm care. So I'm going to be good. Or (laughs) I'm going to do like, what's your workout? Oh, I do arm care three days a week. And like, that's my workout. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is just like, like back to what we were talking even about hip mobility. It's just, it's training economy. Like it's, yeah. if you're, if you do a hard workout, do you really need six to eight other arm care exercises at the end of it? Like if you had a heavy push up day and heavy rows, like, I don't, I mean, what, what's the, it's not a zero sum game. So now you're taking more recovery away from the body and you're adding more stress, which like, is that 
honestly what we need if someone's really building up and getting intense with throwing. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, we've, uh, I'm trying to, we, so we basically, we used to have guys for like the recovery protocol, do the same thing day in, day out. And it was like, it was more like in the higher volume side of things. And, you know, there's still like, we still feel like there's some value into doing like higher volume, low intensity to an extent. Um, but like, you know, you're doing, again, like you said, you're lifting heavy, you're throwing, throwing itself is just a, is arm, you know, is a arm workout. Yeah. Um, so why are we doing, especially if like you're doing it in high, in high volumes, then why are you doing more high volume work after it? So that's why we like, we cut it out on like our higher volume throwing days. It's just like, okay, just do this like general mobility cool down routine. Yeah. Um, just again, just to manage like training economy. And like, we still let athletes, like we still give athletes like autonomy of like, if you don't like some aspect of what we're doing from the like recovery protocol, that's fine. Like you don't need to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, that's, again, that's been like one of our big staples for many years is like, oh, they're warm up and they're, you know, they're warm up and they're cool down. And like, yeah, there's aspects of it, like, there's still aspects of they're like valuable, but not not what like has again our own fault has previously been made out to be as far as like we're keeping the arm healthy um uh, i think a lot of it's just like one just have a focus a warm-up to kind of start working on like some you know arm you know arm mapping type work um uh, and then after that just like kind of get yourself back into like you know kind of a parasympathetic state for throwing uh yep. just like chill out that's like that's what we think is like our i mean at this point we're thinking our biggest benefit of like the the cool down or the recovery protocol is yeah that's kind of what our that's what our recommendation it's in line with what we've been doing as well as some breathing work and things like that afterwards and then yeah like as we kind of group guys guys that tend to get really tight and like lose crazy amounts of motion we'll have them do some some type of mobility work after they're done throwing with some breathing yeah. incorporated and guys that are pick up a ton of motion when they throw they will do a little bit of a couple end range isometrics or something like that um, to try to improve that control. But it's very target, like what the recommendations that we make and, and not that it's that impactful, but it's like targeted and it's in conjunction with like, okay, you're in the weight room, you're doing pushups, you're in the weight room, you're doing your heavy rows. You've got eccentric strength that you're building, whatever the case may be. And then we're like adding little bits of like, okay, you have this problem. So we're going to take tackle this solution versus just like, <laughs> here's three days, six to eight exercises. Um, and we're going to rotate them every six weeks because of that. I just, I don't know. I just question that. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm with you totally on that. All right. I think we've, I think we've beat up on uh, arm care now. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad. I mean, hell, I teach a workshop that I jokingly like title it about arm care, but the whole thing's about sleeping eight hours a night, eating enough, hydrating, lifting three days a week. Um, and you know, the families by the end are like, we came to an arm care workshop. And I'm like, yeah, like, this, this is, is, this is, this is just common sense stuff, Michael. Yeah. Um, don't, don't sell us on stuff that actually matters. We want, we want the fancy stuff. I know. I, know. I do one slide at one slide at the very end. Like, yeah. And then if you do all that, then you can mix in some extra Y's and T's and whatever else makes you feel good, but, uh, do everything else first. And then your arm's going to be now you did your arm care. Yeah exactly um but yeah this is like a greater just like the his, like recent history of like what what has been selling that is just well over time like kind of just like go by the wayside but it's just gonna take some time yeah for sure 
Um, we kind of hit on this just a little bit, but like as a physical therapist or performance physical therapist, whatever people want to call sports PTs, guys that work with athletes, um, how do you view your, and I know we briefly touched on this, but a player that really wants to improve their performance and what might be your role or what might they get out of spending some time and working on with you on some of the things that you find in their, um, in their initial assessment? So, yeah, I mean, I said really, for really what I'm trying to do, like why I tell I'm trying to do with like my assessment is essentially like fill in some gaps of what they might not, what they might not be getting from like the HP side. Um, but we'll help them on the HP side, which will help them on throwing or hitting side. Um, that is just going to be like, again, easy. And it's going to provide like some like a large return on investment that I believe. And again, I know we were just like bashing hip mobility, but uh, if I feel like a guy's like hips are a big limiter, then I'll give him something, you know, one or two, again, like one or two things to do in your warm up each day that shouldn't take more than five minutes to do. Um, have you run through those? If I feel like you're, you know, like your short mobility and like whatever plane is lacking, let's, let's address that. Um, if you feel like you had historically had an issue in certain areas that you just can't keep healthy, it's like, okay, what, what might be feeding into that? What can we do to try to help build that up? Whether it's like, you know, sometimes strength thing, sometimes mobility thing, whatever. Um, let's work on that. And again, just, I think generally trying to fill the gaps in a, addition to like just the well-rounded program they're going to be getting from like monitoring their throwing, monitoring their lifting. Um, I think is kind of like that small, it's like, it's a very small area in my opinion, of like where to fit in, but I think that's like where athletes can get the big best bang for their buck out of. Um, and I think in some aspects you can provide them like a good amount of confidence too. Um, they're like, okay, yeah, I'm hitting it from, I got my throwing side covered. I got my strength side covered. And then we're also identifying these like small areas. Again, it's a it's a fine line to walk because you don't want to make athletes feel like there's something that needs to be addressed with them that is like is gonna per, you know be detrimental if they don't address. But you also want them to feel like okay, this is this is helping me. You know, I feel like I'm feeling I'm gonna feel pretty good as I walk out of here. Yeah, yeah. We talk to athletes a lot about. Um... This is going to get a little intensive for a podcast, but like dynamic <laughs> systems theory. Um, yeah. And like at the end of the day, I mean, we try to explain if they're trying to make changes, it's really motor learning. And yep. um, the chance that something that we do on the table, some drill, some whatever transfers into their throwing mechanics is zero. Um, quite yeah. frankly, if they're not doing other things, but if they have a, physical restriction like we talk a lot about movement variability like if they just they have reduced range of motion or reduced strength or control or whatever the case may be that it's going to take away their that their body's ability to like utilize that in throwing a baseball or hitting or whatever the case may be yeah so we talk about it as our role is like if we can just help restore give, give some more movement variability, give you some more movement options, kind of get your brain to understand how to, um, control your hip into or out of a certain position, um, or allow your rib cage to move in a specific way. Now, when you go into your throwing instruction or drills or whatever, hopefully there's some more, uh, options available to like solve that movement problem. And then if, 
you can get into one that's more efficient, then your brain will start to adopt that in a long-term pattern. But it's very nebulous of like, what we're doing doesn't directly transfer. Like if I give you more T-spine rotation, you're not suddenly going to have amazing hip shoulder separation <laughs> on the mound. Yeah. Um, but if you can't, you know, rotate your T-spine at all, then yeah, it's going to be hard for that to show up during your mechanics. Um, so we just talk about that a lot. Yeah. And like, so that's pretty much exactly where I try to like live within the, you know, the context of like the athletes come in is just like, let's give you something you just don't have. Um, if we feel like, again, if we feel like it, if we feel like it's a big limiter, um, but again, if there's some athletes who just like their motion capture looks good, they've never had any injuries. And it's like, let's leave it. Yeah. You know, you, um, you know, I don't want to just like make myself feel good here. Um, but again, if we can, like, like you said, if we can give you a little bit more, a few more options to do some things and then you go and you just like hammer out reps and reps and reps and reps, which like you said, is going to be the biggest change in performance, um, of like the specific skill you're trying to learn. Then like, yeah, let's give you like a few more options to be able to achieve those tasks. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we had, we had one of our guys in today and he's kind of been, I don't know, just dealing with some feeling like he's getting stuck and he's had some discomfort through one side of his rib cage. And as we've been going, he, he's got great hip mobility, but we kind of figured out he really can't like control abduction by um, like moving his leg out to the side. He just can't actively control that without also getting his trunk side bending. And he kind of, mm. that's kind of what he feels. So it's like, all right, great. Let's try to do some drills that I'll give you that improve just your ability to control that motion. And then, hopefully over time that starts to, uh, you know, with through reps of throwing starts to like show up in your mechanics and help you feel like you're not getting stuck anymore. Like, it, I don't know if it will for sure. I can't guarantee that, but that's the, that's kind of our philosophy and approach. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's an important key that, uh, just a lot of like people in healthcare profession need to understand. It's like, we don't know if it's actually like, it was what is making the change, you know? Um, yeah, in theory it does, but at the end of the day, it might not. Um, and I think again, it goes again, longer, longer tangents can be involved, but like, we just want to make sure we just want to provide so much value to the athlete and feel like we're getting value of our education that like we start creating narratives of like, yeah, what we're doing is definitely having immediate carryover to what the athlete's going to do, like on their skill side, um, which like, like you said, maybe, but also maybe not, maybe they just learn how to do the skill by like hammering out a bunch of reps. Um, not saying you don't like work on that stuff. Like I said, it, you know, it's still good, very well, like carry over, but you gotta be like realistic to yourself that you might not have as much power as you'd like to think you do. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be comfortable, not, not being the reason the athlete got better. This guy worked yeah. with us and saw this huge gain. He spent six weeks in our facility and started throwing five miles an hour harder. Like, yeah, maybe it was what you did. Maybe not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, all right, well, let's, um, start talking about kind of some pain and injury stuff. So one of the first things I want to hit at, and I think it's something that I know you, you talk about and share a lot, um, athletes that are really trying to push the performance, particularly in throwing and maybe in an off season, should they expect to feel great all the time? No, next, next question. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's, I think this 
this is more prevalent in like the younger population where like there's this again this narrative of like once you start feeling uncomfortable or having discomfort, I don't want to say pain, but like discomfort, achiness, whatever, that's when we back off. And that's like, that's just a really good way of not making progress. Um, you know, like ideally, again, my philosophy is like, let's try like keep those paths of like health and performance running parallel for as long as we can. But eventually like those roads diverge and you can either like, push more towards the health side and kind of like plateau your progress, or you can push the progress side and plateau your, you know, I don't say plateau your health, but like make it a bit more likely that you're going to be at, you know, at best not feeling good uh, at, you know, at potential worst, which hopefully not have, you know, an injury that you may not buy your training for a period of time. And ideally like we don't, you know, we try to keep that from happening as long as possible, but like, no, you don't have a, like an actual real idea of when that divergence is going to happen. You know, for some guys who are in a train, uh, it's probably going to happen a lot earlier. And we, you know, at driveline, we'll make, you know, we'll make modifications in their training program based off that. Um, whereas guys who are like well-trained who have a longer history of like trying to push their bodies, like we'll let them push for a longer period of time, uh, at a essentially like more frequency, um, before we like we start pumping the brakes on them but like the idea like that you should be feeling good to train your best is just like it's a pipe dream um i'm gonna to quote to quote i think walker bueller uh if you want to feel good all the time throw 77 miles an hour um but if you're trying to throw like if you're trying to throw hard and that's relative and try to push your body your body's gonna like fight back against that and i still think you know um to take that step further, I think there's benefit of like allowing your body to like work through that. You know, I think people are really quick to be like, okay, well now I got to go get my recovery work in as far as like get cupping, get scraping, get needling, do a Norma tech, go do a cryo chamber or whatever. Um, and that's just what they're, you know, essentially they're just training their bodies of like push, get beat up, have someone else come in to do something to you. And then you're recovered. And then like, you know, maybe like, again, maybe that's providing some benefit, but like, what's going to happen? Like, you know, and that's great in the time being, but what's going to happen when you're out somewhere and when you're playing in, I don't know, like Bloomington, Indiana, uh, like, and your coach is your therapist also as well too. Like, uh, you're going to have to figure out stuff on your own. Um, your body better like learn that better learn on its own. That's capable of like healing itself. I don't think we give enough credit to our bodies of like, understanding like our bodies are like amazing things that can given the right circumstances if we're smart about things like can heal itself very well yeah no i i agree i mean we try to do a lot of education on the difference between pain and soreness and yeah i mean pain pain's a problem it's gonna like true pain is gonna change your movement patterns and um but some soreness is normal and uh we talk a lot about like monitoring the trends like I mean, yeah, if you're, if every week it's getting gradually worse and worse and worse, you're just like feeling yourself go, go off the rails. That's different than like, I threw really hard. My arms a little sore today, 24 hours later, sort of back to feels pretty good again. Like, yeah, it's not something to be afraid of. Yeah. And I, I kind of tell guys like, cause we, we kind of structure between like high intensity, low intensity, moderate, low, high, you know, if, if you guys are on a two high intensity day a week schedule, 
I sound like, you know, at, at worst, we don't want you to be, you know, kind of like the most leniency is like, okay, I'm beat up by, by the time I get to my, my next high intensity day, I'm good to go. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm able to go to the point where I'm not having like a large dip in like velo. Um, ideally we'd like you kind of work in like the area of like, I'm, you know, I'm beat up by like, by the time I get to my moderate intensity day, two days later, I'm in a good spot. Um, yeah, again, there's a lot of wiggle room within that. Um, but yeah, we want to make sure just like, we don't want you to like be, you know, I'm throwing 90 miles an hour in my, in my mound below on Monday and I'm throwing 84 miles an hour in my mound below on Friday. Oh, uh, cause again, that's just a recipe for not success at best. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it is amazing. I mean, I was a student intern with, uh, uh, the Packers one summer and I'll never forget. I like asked the starting running back one day after the first day of training camp I was like, Oh, isn't it just like so exciting to get the pads on and like get back into practice. Like, you know, my naive little self. And he's like, he like looks at me and goes, no, my body's going to feel terrible the rest of the year. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, um, lesson, lesson learned, but that's kind of stuck with me even now where it's like, you start talking to the guys that do this for a job and they don't feel great a lot. Um, but they do on the days they have to go perform and it's about yes. finding a schedule that works. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and that's, there's not going to be, it's different for everyone. Like it's not going to be, you know, we have an idea of like what would be a good starting point, but it's going to take months slash years of tinkering to find out what works for you and might not be what works for the next guy. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's dive into some actual injuries now. So getting away from just the soreness that might be okay. Um, sure you're similar, but we see the most common things that we'll see are kind of pain on the inside of the elbow, um, front of the shoulder pain every now and then some, some posterior <laughs> impingement pain in the back. But if you have somebody that's got medial elbow pain, um, with throwing, um, what types of things are you looking at? Are there any staples that you really, uh, almost always address or work on with, with guys coming back from medial elbow pain? Um, it, Honestly, it's an ongoing fluctuation, like ongoing, like, yeah, fluctuation of like what I'll end up doing. Um, generally, like, first and foremost, like, I'm going to stress test their elbow um, and then just see how they respond to that. Ideally, like, they're not really having, I'm not, you know, uh, provoking their pain at all when I do that. But, like, if it is, it's like, okay, I can't 100% say it's like, oh, like a UCL injury or, a, you know, or real, like a flexor tendon uh, injury. But I want to have an idea if like it's that general area. Um, and if it is, then it's like, okay, well, generally let's do something that just work on like form slash medial elbow strength. What I've done in the past has been more utilized like blood flow restriction um, or BFR for listeners who are more familiar with that, um, where it's like, you're still getting a strength and hypertrophy effect of the muscle, you know, muscles that help stabilize the elbow. Um, but it's at a lower like training cost essentially where they can still like you know, have hit their numbers that they need to hit on the throwing side. Um, what I've recently been doing as opposed to like in the last like week or two, honestly, is if guys are like, and the, again, more severely injured to the point where it's like, they came and get like moderate intensity days in, but like, okay, let's like dial back the throwing intensity a little bit more. And let's actually, let's go for like, let's go for like some hard work on like your medial elbow stabilizers. Um, Whereas like I would always just kind of like yield towards like BFR, but like, again, you can get some hypertrophy effects, but also like 
hard training is still going to be superior to that. And I think that's something that I've just realized I've been neglectful of in the past where I should be like just working on getting guys like just like again, some, some nasty pumps uh, in their form, like get their forearm burnt up, get their bicep tricep burnt up um, consistently and see if that actually provides more benefit. I can't, I, at this moment, I can't tell like how effective that is yeah. in theory in my head. It's working a little, it's going to work a little better, but again, it's, it's going to be a long time before we can actually see like what is actually beneficial for that. But again, the general consensus that I try to get to is if we need to, let's dial back to throwing, uh, let's build some strength up on the inside of the elbow and then we'll go from there and see what we need to modify. Uh, on, I kind of almost the flip side of that, but similarly, I also like, we'll check for if there's any like neural tension, essentially, uh, mainly like median and ulnar will be kind of two big ones that I'll see. And this is actually something I found like be more prevalent uh, than what you would generally give credit for. Uh, I'm not saying like all medial pain is nerve related. And I'm not saying if you clear up nerve pain that all medial pain is going to go away. But I found it like pretty fairly common uh, where if you start working on the factors that might be feeding into where why they have some uh, neural tension, whether it be like neck mobility, rib cage, T-spine mobility, uh, strength in the upper body a lot of times that will actually improve some elbow pain or forearm pain uh, again that again there's a lot of trial and error into what needs to happen to try and improve that um, but i generally find that if you work beyond like more up the chain approximately as opposed to like oh yeah we're just gonna do like nerve glides and do like soft tissue work around the forearm around the elbow you get a lot better results that way so that's those are kind of like the two main areas that I'll look if we're, we're looking into medial pain is whether it's going to be strength or some type of nerve issue. Yeah, no, I, I think we see similar stuff and I've done the same thing. We've really tried to incorporate some of the tendon research into um, like what we're doing with form strengthening, doing some slow tempos, longer ISO holds, trying to get some time under tension um, as well um, yeah. with those structures. Yeah, that's you're, you're you and I are on the same path right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's great. Love it. Any um, any differences or kind of specifics when you're dealing with shoulder um, pain, like either front or back of the shoulder, um, compared to your medial elbow stuff? Um, no, generally, I I personally feel like uh, shoulder stuff is going to be more tied into what's happening at the rib cage at the neck. Um, and I generally will try and improve mobility through those areas. Um, and I feel a lot of times that improves a lot of shoulder issues. There's still going to be like, again, the time and place where like, you just need to work on the coordination, the strength, the hypertrophy of the shoulder, but especially like when it's early on too, when it's not, hasn't like progressed like a major injury. Like a lot of times if you just like improve, again, improve that proximal mobility or strength, a lot of shoulders will improve. Whether that happens via, uh, improve again, improved positional strength, whether it improve, helps improve like innervations in the muscle, which I don't even know if that's actually a thing, uh, whether it improves just like, again, proximal stability. Um, I couldn't tell you why, but I just given my experiences working with throwers that like when you work those areas, like a lot of times, a lot of shoulders can make pretty drastic improvements. Yeah. That's what we see is we just take a very much like, um, I don't know, I guess you'd call it an impairment based approach, but it's like, I love having baselines on guys when they were not painful and mm -hmm. I look for changes. Like 
have you lost a bunch of motion? Well, let's try to get some back. Have you lost a lot of strength? We, we'd use handheld dynamometry testing and mm -hmm. like, have you lost a ton of strength? Well, let's try to get it back. <laughs> let's yeah. You know, did you, did you actually get weak or is it just weak because your shoulder hurts now? Chicken and the egg, no idea, but we're going to just try to get you back to where you were and see how we feel. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I think, um, uh, I think that's a, a frustration of mine of like just general PT is that like, you know, they, they get, again, they get fed stories of like, Oh, you got hurt because you're weak in your, your serratus. We'll say, and it's just like, maybe they're just weak in their serratus because they're in pain right now because they just threw, you know, 15 innings over the course of two days. Yeah. Um, and maybe like you need to address that they're not doing that. They're following a really terrible throwing program. Um, as opposed to like telling them that they like need to work on their, your scap strength for endless amounts. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And, you know, we see, especially those high school kids, we'll, we'll see them. We'll, we'll, especially if we dial back their throwing, it's like, okay, well, let's supplement, let's get some more stress in that area. That's it's a good time to work on some of these other things and try to improve your, if you can't do a push up, if you can't do a single leg squat, if you can't like while we're dialing back some other stuff, it's a great time to work on those things so that when we hopefully build, you know, get you back into it, you're maybe in a better position be, to be able to tolerate that stress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, let's do things. I want to just talk a little bit about throwing programs. So first on, on a kind of simple basis, just somebody that's dealing with a little bit of pain. When do you decide um, to just modify a throwing program versus pull the plug and make them take a little bit of downtime completely. Um, and then I also want to get your thoughts a little bit on like long-term throwing programs and kind of after surgery. And, you know, one of the things that I struggle with a lot as a PT is I want to guide some of the workload progressions and make sure it's being done intelligently. But I do think that there are pitching coaches and throwing coaches that are probably better at you know, working on their mechanics and what they should be looking like and guiding those sessions more than, than we are. So I'd be curious to see how you handle uh, those two situations. Yeah. So, um, I'm sorry. What was the first part of the question? I got, sorry. I got, I checked my answer for the second part. No, that's all right. So, uh, um, how do you decide basically when to just like modify a throwing program versus stop throwing? So I'll generally yield toward like, like very often I'll yield, yield towards just modify. Um, cause often like more often than not, when I see guys, it's like I have pain at high intensities. Um, and it's like, okay, well you can throw low intensity, you can throw moderate intensities. Let's keep doing that. If you can do it, especially if you can do it without pain, you're not beat up. Let's do that. Um, while we're also again trying to address like whatever your limiters are, one may be weak or painful on you at the time. Um, that's more often where I'll start with guys. And then if we, if it's, again, we're not making progress, then we'll, dial it back more or shut them down. Um, if it's an instance where it's like, guys like, yeah, I felt pop, snap, crunch, crack, whatever. It's like, okay. And then like they're in fairly significant pain. Okay. Let's shut it down. Um, you know, a, as scary as it might be a, a pop or a snap can actually just be like just a muscle being like mildly strained. Um, so let's kind of see how I respond. Like we'll capture some strengthening stuff uh, initially and then give a few days. And then if we need to send you off to get referred out for an orthopedic visit, we will. Um, but I always try to like yield towards like what they can, like do what they can early on. And then 
reassess, you know, a day or two later. Um, but as far as like specific tests, like I don't have like one, it's like, yeah, if you fail this test and we're, I mean, I get, if I stress test your UCL and like, I just feel no resistance and, and, you, and you don't feel pain, then it's like, okay, we need to probably go see an orthopedic. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just going to be based off like their symptoms as a whole. Um, and what we feel one, I feel that they're capable of, but two, what they also feel confident in too. Um, there'll be certain times where it's like, I, I think the athlete is probably ready for, let's say like a moderate intensity day, but they just personally don't feel quite confident for that. And I'm like, okay, let's just do some more low intensity days. Let's build up, like, let's maybe not necessarily build up intensity, but let's build up some volume, get a little more throws in, uh, build your fitness a little bit more that way. And then see if I like, get a couple of days, like your body recovers from that, then we'll try pushing intensity. Um, so yeah, again, that's, that's where I'm at from that side of things. As far as return to throws, that's a, that's, that's a big Separate podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we thoughts have definitely changed um, over the years where we're at now is um, we like to utilize pulse, um, which is for those who don't know, um, used to be modus essentially just a wearable um, you put on your form and it essentially just tracks how fast your arm moves, uh, how much stress you can put on your arm, how you know, like how many throws you do, how many high stress throws you do, and kind of gives you like calculations for like what your workload was for the day. Um, I actually don't use it in the day to day as much as other PTs will, but that's also because like, again, I have amazing throwing floor staff that like uses it day in day out, and I can just be like, hey, let's progress in this kind of like in this vein, um, and we'll let you assign like workloads. Um, what we've been utilizing more of like post-op surgery a little more is uh, you like basically progress, uh, assign arm speeds for each other, like an arm speed cap. Um, so let's say like, let's say like roughly like a thousand is their max arm speed they can tolerate or they like we're capable of um, like in a normal throwing high speed uh, throw. We'll say like, okay, let's have you start at uh, like 350 arm speed. All right. So pretty low. Um, we're going to keep the volume of throws. We'll kind of gradually build up both the volume and the arm speed cap as the weeks go on. And then eventually we'll start kind of working more like an undulating, you know, schedule where it's like, we'll have some days where it'll be like a higher arm speed cap, some days lower, higher, lower. And again, just gradually build up over time. Um, that's still in our pretty experimental phase right now. Uh, and again, it's going to be some time before we actually get dialed in as like, this is the best way to do it. But we've like seen that this has been a pr- like the athletes that we tried on have been, responding pretty favorably to it uh, just because it gives them just generally harder guidelines to follow than like a distance cap, you know, because a distance, you know, throwing 120 feet for you and I um, is a lot different than 120 feet for no Syndergaard. Um, And the amount of stress that's going to be placed on our body from that is going to be vastly different. Um, Same thing from like a high school athlete to, or or a, a middle school athlete to, you know, a college athlete. Um, so we can, I guess if we can like give a little bit more dialed in intensity, uh, caps, that should be a little bit better way to like progress relative, like what they're capable of. Yeah. I love it. We've been using the pulse a little bit monitoring, um, players. Obviously we don't have the same luxury that you do or where you are. So we still have to kind of give them some programs and, um, yeah, we've been, playing around with it. We, 
we sort of use a combination right now of volume counts with distance and RPEs, kind of like yeah. guidelines, not like firm rules. And then try to use the pulse where we can to like monitor, did that session actually achieve what we wanted to, or was it not hard enough or too hard? Yeah. And I think, I think that's honestly like, I, I think people think that there was like a magic bullet uh, as far as, or like a, a specific protocol that needs to be followed. But like honestly, if like you're just taking a variable and each couple sessions you progress it, it's like, that's gonna that's gonna help them out. One thing that I do think is like really important though is like before you they get quote unquote cleared is like they have to throw like high intensity like like max intensity before you say okay you now you're getting back on the mound and you're gonna face hitters because facing hitters throwing competition that's like a totally different animal and you want to make sure the athletes like as ready and stress tested they possibly can be and. You know, like so we have our we have our guys throw pull downs, we have them throw like velocity days, like mount velocities, like just like like let it rip, trust your arm, trust your elbow. Now you have the confidence in it. Now, like when you're you know, when you uh you got the count oh two against a hitter for the first time, you can just let that fastball rip, you know, at their chest level and you feel good about it. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. All right. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer. <laughs> We did have a couple of fun questions. We did an Instagram sticker yesterday with, uh, with some questions. So just fire off a couple responses can be as shorter as long as you want to. And I'll, uh, let you get all on right. your day today. So, um, first question from our guy, Dylan, um, how do you handle skepticism from athletes that have had a bad physical therapy experience? Um, and like, why do they find PT with you to be so valuable? Um, uh, I, I mean, I'll admit that I think a lot of it is is built in trust with me, uh, on account of like driveline have a very good reputation. Um, they're com- they're seeking out driveline to help get them better. And I'm already like just baked into that. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll like openly admit that, like, I don't have to do quite as much of the, you know, as work on that end of things. I still, again, just try to like, let them know, like you, again, build up their trust. Like, let them know you're in good hands. Like, this is what I'm thinking. I think stuff that you've been told in the past isn't necessarily true. I let them know that I think that they're like a strong, healthy, resilient person. Um, and then we're just going to like, we're going to create the environment to allow them to succeed. Um, and then second part of that, it was, was it like why they've had success with me? Why do I or think just like why? Yeah. Why getting with a good PT can be valuable, which I think we've, we've talked about quite yeah, a bit. I, I mean, there's so many, there's so many variables that, I mean, with any sport really, but especially in baseball, there's so many variables, especially like the amount of repetition. That's like the same pattern that like really need to be taken into account too. Um, and it's a, it's a lot to think about. Um, I think going back to what we said about like, Oh, seeing a PT and they just say your race is weak, but like, again, you don't, you don't, did you ask like what they did? Like the throwing program leading up, did you ask about what their training history is? Did you ask about like dependent positions, just stuff like that. And I think having someone that just at least has that understanding, I'm not saying they need to be like the greatest you know, technician side, you know, on the tech, no, technician side of things as possible, but like at least they have an understanding of like all that goes into what creates uh, good performance and on the flip side, also injuries is going to be important. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything there. Um, 
Another question. Would you ever work at it for an MLB organization? If yes, what are some things you would want to implement that you don't see now? Um, I'll, I'll answer, uh, I'll answer both questions, even though the first one disqualifies the second one. Uh, first answer is, is no. Um, and which would generally like surprise a lot of people. I've actually, I have had like a couple requests, like interview with some teams and just like, just like, nah, like, uh, there's, there's so much, uh, for lack of a better term, BS that goes on in organizations. Um, I'm not going to like crap on any specific organization by any means, but there's just so many, like, just, uh, I, I mean, there, PT is essentially at the bottom of the barrel, you yeah. know? Um, and there's so many things that like, just are, don't need to be happening from my understanding, like what my like coworkers tell me about what happens in, at, organizational levels that like i just i have too much autonomy i got like a good situation at driveline like i can i can make memes on instagram and it's, it's fine uh so like i i'm and then like again further side that like my wife and i like we have roots here now too and like we got a good like i don't have any intentions like moving from here or, like going to like a job with that said if i were to go like if i were to go to mlb org you know i would try to there have been some words that I think they like, try to make like make it all like the integrated team um, that try to get like PT, uh, you know, nutrition, mental skills, strength, like a little bit more incorporated. So I would try to like have something similar to that um, while, you know, and then also take into account what the player, again, what the players think they need, um, which again, I'm, I'm only speaking from an outsider. So I don't know actually how much that actually takes into place. Um, but it also does seem like a lot of things get like force fed to players um, that they don't really buy into. So it's like, if you're not buying into it, that's essentially just creating like an, an immediate barrier to them wanting to come to see you down the road. Um, and I would also just like make it that it's okay to go see a PT. I think there's, I've heard a lot of stories of like you go see trainer PT, whoever ask for whatever, you know, have them look at you. And then you're, you're on the chopping block not too long after that, especially when they got another bunch of other guys that throw 95 behind, you know, beneath you. Yeah. No, I mean, everyone, I, we get it all the time with students and I, um, there's a lot of pros and cons to working in pro sports. I mean, and there are aspects that, you know, I had the opportunity to be around it for a little while. And there are aspects that you kind of miss like the team environment and just the competition, but there's a ton of ethical dilemmas that no one talks about, like you're <laughs> working for the patient, but the team signing your paycheck. There's, yeah. I mean, you got agents, you got, I mean, there's just a lot that um, when you get to do what you and I do work with people that are choosing to come and work with us and, yeah. and control our own schedules and what we're doing, it, it's hard to give it up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I think that's uh it covers most of the questions. We had some, we had some funny ones. Like, do you have a, do you create your memes or do you have an intern that creates your memes? Lots of, <laughs> lots of mysteries that people want to have solved. Just, they're going to have to, yeah, they're just going to have to keep on guessing. <laughs> but, uh, a, it's like, it's like a Charlie and chocolate factor. I just have a bunch of like little balloons that just create my memes. Yeah. So well, that's, that's awesome. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, definitely. Uh, one of the better conversations that I've I've had in a while. I, I enjoyed it. So I'm glad the timing worked out. And hopefully, baseball players, um, other physical therapists, eventual uh, current students that are going to be a PT. Hopefully, lots of people are able to take something useful away from you and I rambling for a little over <laughs> an hour at this point. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, this is great. I said, uh, <laughs> a lot of the people are going to listen to this and be like, oh yeah, they're just agreeing with each other the whole time. <laughs> but no, this was, this was awesome. It's good to hear like other, again, other PTs, perspectives that are like, you know, kind of thinking similar wavelengths. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, if people want to find out a little bit more about you, um, follow along with what you're doing or, or what you guys have going on at driveline, um, where can they find you? Uh, I mean, drivelinebaseball.com. Um, you look up driveline baseball on social media is going to, you know, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I think we have a, t- a TikTok uh, too. Uh, actually, for my own personal account, which I actually don't know, <laughs> um, I'm looking up right now. Hold on. It's a uh, Terry dot Phillips P H I L L I P S dot DPT. Um, find me there. Um, I'm also active on Twitter as well, but definitely a lot less now that I found that I can express my thoughts a little bit more cohesively on Instagram. Um, it's not, it's not all just memes. Uh, I, I try to like make good, valuable information, but I also just realize that it's also a game too. And gotta, gotta like entertain people. Yeah, for sure. Your memes are, your memes are helpful. They're usually, you know, uh, they're, they're educational as long as you like the sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's the world I just want to live in. Just like get something like get education out of it. Yeah. No, that's great. We will uh, get all those in the show notes and, uh, thank you again so much for coming, coming on. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode. All right. Thank you, Michael.